The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Beyond, and hello everyone, my name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, episode 633, our weekly IGN PlayStation show, uh, where we have now handled our drips and can move on to the show. No one will understand what that means, but I'm glad it's on the air now. We're talking uh, about bathroom stuff before we, we started. We were, it was, it was a real weird start to the show. Uh, real I'm, wet mess. I'm joined this week by Max Scoville. Howdy. Lucy O'Brien. Hello. And Brian Altano. Hi there. Also joined by my dog, Loki, making his debut on Podcast Beyond. Is this his first episode? This is his first episode oh, on the show. And he's, he's hiding his face because he's, he's embarrassed. He's camera shy. He is. He said, Aww. wake me up when there's PS5 news. And yeah. And asleep the whole, he's the whole like, year. He's like a little kid that like goes under their mom's skirt because yeah. they don't want to say hi to her friend. He doesn't want to be on camera. Mm. Yeah, that's the kind of kind of little boy uh, he is. Most dogs hate being on podcasts where their owner is on like a large stool. Yeah, I don't think he likes the height too much. A good uh, trick is to put peanut butter on the microphone and then they'll talk for hours. I was saying, you can go ASMR real hard with that. Yeah. Some pop rocks for the dog, have him lick him up. Oh, God. Uh, before the show gets further dog off the rails, <laughs> I wanted to start off actually with a question. This one comes in from John, who wrote into Beyond at IGN.com and uh, had the subject line, Will the Start and Select buttons return with PS5? John wrote, Hello, Jonathan, Lucy, Brian, and Max. Beyond, I love the show and want to thank you guys for all the good work you do. Got a serious question, and I don't think I've heard anyone address it recently. Will the PS5 or any other upcoming console, I think there's only really other one return with a proper start and select button nintendo went with the plus and minus buttons xbox with the three lines and double square button and the playstation has the options and share button did all three of the major con- major console devel- developers i can't speak get together and decide that the start and select buttons were obsolete after the 360 wii u and ps3 i always liked the start button me too i never gelled with the options button and yeah. I still think of it as a start and select. It you is a start button. What sucks is when you, you call that the start button, but then you realize you mean one half of the touchpad, which is also start. Yeah, yeah. that's true. They use that as basically the start button now. I hate yeah. when a game says press options to start. Because you're like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. That happens a lot. Yeah. It's very stupid. I don't like that button that much. Which options one? or the, the touchpads? I don't like either yeah. of them that much. <laughs> the thin little... They're yeah, not, that's they're the not weakest great. part of the they should be. Port. Why don't they make them round? I don't, know. I don't like the little tic tac shit. It's no fun. 
Uh, I do think we are, though. I brought this up because I do think they're not going to go back to it, but I do think the share button is here to stay because that's like fundamentally, at least for me, changed how I play games. Oh, no, totally. The share button was ingenious and it was something that we used all the time. I mean, I used you, I say it in past tense. Uh, I use all, it's the PlayStation 4 is still a thing. (laughs) I use all the time because it's just an amazing way to just suddenly share everything with all your buddies and and i thought i wouldn't use it and i'm not sure how many uh listeners out there thought the same but yeah i was proven wrong i love it yeah i think the rise really of photo mode to like hand in hand with that button elevated its use because otherwise at the beginning of the ps4 i didn't care about it well i mean how else Mm -hmm. are you gonna show you hanging off a giant statue's balls in assassin's creed odyssey on twitter Mm -hmm. yeah everyone shared that photo if they played that game, it was. You got to get your hard. significant other to take a picture of you in front of the television. That's the other way to do it. That's how you look do at it. these balls. <laughs> Old fashioned way. Uh, also, what I did with my Bloodborne Platinum. I was like, it's six thirty in the morning. Get in here. <laughs> Um, Before we get into the rest of the topics, though, we are going to talk about this week. Did want to mention, of course, if you haven't already, head to store.ign.com and buy a Podcast Beyond shirt. You can buy those. And if you show support for the show's shirt, it's a lot of S's, uh, we may make more shirts about this show. You did really good with that sentence. Thank you. Show support for the show's shirts. How did you not screw that up? I don't know. I I screwed up the word start and select, but somehow I got through that. That's okay. I mean, every controller has screwed up those words for the last 10 years. So. Uh, so please go check that out if you haven't already. There are also like weekly sales on that store with a bunch of other shirts, both of IGN designs as well as just, you know, Marvel, Harry Potter, everything else. Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. There's a lot of Baby Yoda shirts. Uh, also want to mention... Eh, we'll get there probably someday. Uh, did you know he hated liberals as a baby? <laughs> That's really? a thing J.K. Rowling revealed in a tweet recently. Yeah. That's great. A uh, lot of also, babies hate liberals. <laughs> wanted to mention uh, a thank you to everyone who watched our Horizon Zero Dawn sort of retrospective episode. Really happy that we were able to do that. Uh, we're going to aim to do one of those a month. And uh, we talked a little bit in the planning meeting, which, Lucy, I know you're not part of. But uh, if everyone's down to, I'm good for us to check out Infamous Second Son. Yes. yes. Again. I'm yeah. very keen for that yes uh, obviously with sucker punch coming back this year with ghost of tsushima feels like a great time to revisit that game um so we'll be checking out don't worry about first light maybe if you have time feel free to jump into it but definitely for this month toward the end of the month we'll have an episode looking back at infamous second son which is available it's on sale all the time on the psn and on amazon so go grab a copy if you don't have it already i think it may have even been on ps plus at some point so you might have a free copy as well uh it came out back in 2014 or 15 I believe so it's been a while but uh, we're going to jump back into that see what still holds up about it what we want to maybe see from Sucker Punch and Ghost and what we think the future of that studio may be there Um, and other than that just a little bit other bit of housekeeping Uh, we know you've been asking a lot about that Bloodborne Let's Play and stay tuned this month is the anniversary of that game so please stay tuned for more Uh, we'll have more to share with you guys in the coming weeks but please please stay tuned we are very excited I'm very scared but we're going to be playing that game we're going to make it (laughs) we're going to make it Uh, we're going to make the video I don't know if you're going to make it no that's very true through Bloodborne yeah that is very much up for debate but we are going to make a a video first I am actually genuinely terrified for you (laughs) because I can't fathom playing that game with a big audience sort of watching me do it sure i mean when i played it for the first time i was kind of like a little golem in the corner like hissing at anyone who came in the door Mm -hmm. and you're gonna be doing it in front of an audience maybe i'll act that way though it'll just be on camera 
True. Yeah. True. Uh, but that should be exciting. Stay tuned for that. We'll have full uh, more announcements about that to come. But without further ado, I think it's time to jump into the show proper, along with all of the news and previews and stuff that's been happening in the world of PlayStation. Obviously, PS5 news, still light, still not. Still not much out there about that PS5. Maybe we'll find out uh, before it actually comes out. Do you think the, the lack of PS5 news is, is on us, or is there just a lack of it in general? Both. Okay. Yeah. yeah like, you don't think we're creating enough PS5 I news? feel like people, a lot of, sometimes people in the comments on things don't understand that we don't just, like, <laughs> like, it's not like we have PS5 news in the back that we don't know about. It's yeah. just there isn't any. Yeah. It's. Oh, the, I have a. Oh, is there one? You is have a dev any? kit down there? I have a PS5 right down here. Oh, we'll, was... we'll do that on the Beyond Do you guys want to see it? <laughs> do you want to see it? Cut to black. I don't have it. There was, um, and I, I apologize if this uh, this author of this piece that I'm about to uh, rag on is someone awesome, um, but there was like a piece. <laughs> that was, start. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> there was a piece published on like February 29th that was like, uh, oh, the Business Insider piece. Yeah, yeah, like no PlayStation 5 news expected this February. <laughs> so apparently it was a satirical piece, but the, oh, headli- the headline okay. does it not was, give that away. It, absolutely, it was satirical? Yeah, okay. It, it okay. was I take it joke. back then. It was yeah. very funny. But I mean, if you do go, I've been looking at the PS5 subreddit every day, and that place is just like a danger zone of people being like, what are we doing here? Like it's constantly on fire. It's that community gif of Abed or uh, Troy walking into the party and everything is on fire Yeah, and dropping the pizza because it's just constantly people being like, here's a rumor I heard. And then someone else is like, there's no rumor. You're lying. And then it's like, Oh guys, don't, don't get angry. We'll, we'll get news eventually. Uh, Mm -hmm. But at least what we real Lord of the flies. Oh yeah. It's it's getting on there. So hopefully I really like that idea for an article of like five minutes left in the month. You're like, it doesn't look like what's happening. (laughs) I've always joked that we should have an article on the site that every day is just like, is the PS5 out yet? And then we just update it every day with a new timestamp. It's like, nope, nope. Will, will yeah. Brian eat a bagel for breakfast yesterday? <laughs> no. Uh, but something we can talk about that does have a release date that we now, and you at home, have actually gotten to get your hands on is Final Fantasy VII Remake. That game is close enough to being real that there is a demo currently available, dropped surprise to us all on the PSN earlier this week as we're recording. Um, it also, alongside it, we and many other outlets had a more extended preview up, so if you haven't, please check out Matt Perslow from our IGN UK team's preview of Final Fantasy VII Remake on IGN.com. He got to see more than what's in the demo, a couple extra chapters and a boss fight, so go check that out for much more in-depth uh, impressions of it. But... This demo does get you right into the beginning of the game. So, spoilers for the opening of Final Fantasy VII slash Final Fantasy VII Remake. We're going to be talking about it in depth. We'll be getting some of your opinions as well. But uh, for those of you on the panel who have had time to check it out, it's roughly like a 45-minute hour-long demo. What did you think of it? I I really enjoyed it. Uh, I was a, like I was really impressed by how... And I know by all accounts, um, it's not going to stay this way, but I was really impressed by sort of how one-to-one it was with the original intro. Uh, and it felt like I was playing the original intro. And I loved that. Uh, you know, those of us in the office who have played uh, more, who have played those extra two chapters have said that it very much branches out. Uh, and of course it has to, considering the length of the first chapter of Final Fantasy VII Remake is the, is the length of a, a fully blown game. Um I, I I I like the combat. I it it t- took a second because yes. you know immediately my muscle memory was like it's turn based because this is where the two guards arrive and this is where it goes <laughs> and you know I start fighting. Um, I think that the systems are in place are very they require you to be constantly vigilant, which yes. I really like. Yeah. Like there was no moment where I was kind of just. 
button mashing, like, you know, Final Fantasy XV. I I, I loved Final Fantasy XV, but the combat system was very much sort of free-flowing. You could just button mash and, and, and... you know, win a fight that way. What if you but, could just like fly off to the edge of a cliff if you felt like it? You just like yeah. throw your sword. You're like, whoa! It, it, didn't, it didn't feel <laughs> very like, Final Fantasy, which was a weird mechanic when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was very, it was very action RPG. This feels, uh, it's, it treads a really nice line between the traditional uh, like mechanics of Final Fantasy VII and 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 you know newer, more action oriented RPGs. Um, one thing that I really would have liked to have seen, it made me miss weirdly, was the gambit system from Final fantasy 12 okay what is that because i've never played 12 right so the gambit system was essentially you could uh program your characters your uh teammates to behave in a certain way Mm -hmm. to focus on healing to just focus on magic Mm. to attack to defend uh you could give them really specific orders and therefore you could kind of just concentrate on your own attacks while knowing that they're doing what you want them to do. Um, In this system, you know, you're kind of having to constantly pay attention and constantly dart uh, in between your character and your your teammate in order to kind of tell them what to do. Like, you have to switch to them frequently and give them frequent orders uh, as opposed to kind of giving them a blanket order that you can switch on the fly. Uh, And so it kind of made me... it It was just... It made me miss the Gambit system, but at the same time, I... I like that, again, that it made me constantly vigilant and made me constantly pay attention to what my teammate was doing. Yeah. Um, but it would have been cool to have seen it expand a little bit because it really did remind me of Final Fantasy XII. Uh, and I kind of just wanted that system <laughs> that to return. I do wonder if they'll have a little bit of that in at least the full release because that yeah. is something even, and obviously this will be my reference point a lot because I never played FF7, but the Kingdom Hearts franchise, which of course Nomura has been involved in both, Uh, did let you program your teammates so that essentially you could say, like, I want Goofy to never heal. I want him to just always focus on attacking. I want Tarzan to always heal me. Uh, Like, you could at least do very degrees. I want Goofy to let me die. Yeah. (laughs) Well, if you don't change them, then Donald constantly heals you and then wastes all of his magic, and he's an idiot. Anyway, so not having that system in there, I felt like that was something I, I didn't really think about until I realized, oh, uh, Barrett, who's the only other teammate you get in the demo, he's dying if I don't go over there. Or he's not using his special abilities if I don't switch over to him or tell him to. While yeah, you I, have to yeah. constantly be switching to your teammates. I, I noticed he was like fairly useless and ineffective in just basic stuff. Like uh, There's turrets that you take down that then have to respawn on your way back up through the tower. And you have to switch over to him to like really make sure he gets it done. There were like multiple times where he was just kind of standing there, like shooting away at the sky. And I'm like, "What are you doing, man?" And I would switch over to him. Um, yeah, I think like there's there's a lot to like here, and I think that like in terms of revitalizing a classic game, uh, it's doing a really good job of maintaining some of the campier elements of that. And I think I was worried that it would kind of refine this too much and kind of maybe go a little bit too serious with everything but it doesn't feel that way it actually still feels like a 90s jrpg in a lot of ways i think my issue with this right now is that i don't think it's doing anything amazingly i think it's like traversal is okay and combat is like pretty good and like voice acting is good and the environments are like pretty good looking the character models are are very good looking but i think it's all coming together and i finished the demo and i was like i think i enjoyed that i think (laughs) i would keep playing more of that Mm -hmm. but i don't know if i was like 
in love with this experience or I felt like actively engaged or challenged or really like, like, oh, this, this is something that I absolutely have to dedicate 60 hours to once a year for the next five years or so. Do you feel like you can pinpoint what was either not working for you or lacking in the experience or? Uh, I just, yeah, I I feel like, I mean, this is by nature of it being a demo, but there's a lot of handholdy stuff. There's a lot of like, basically they stop you every four seconds to be like, open a door, open it, get in an elevator, go up a ladder. I mean, that's, that's very much because it's the very beginning of of the game, right? Like it's a, you know, what I think would have actually uh, worked better for the demo is kind of giving you perhaps a more early section of the game, but uh, you know more a slice of what the actual game will be like once you're kind of out in the wild, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, it was very much the just the sort of first forty minutes of the game, and mm-hmm. therefore very handholdy. But I do have faith that you know, once it opens up, it's going to be far more interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a world between something like what FromSoft does, which is basically tell you nothing and what this game is doing, which is being like, Hey, did you know you can open treasure chests? And you're like, yeah, no man, I've, I've been doing this for a while. I like that it entirely stops everything down to be like, all right, so you, let me tell, let's talk about opening a chest. And you're like, okay. You're like, yeah, I got it. Yeah. Um, I thought that the, like I was saying, the character models are amazing. Mm. Uh, the animation is really good. Um, the, uh, textures in a lot of areas are not great. I thought like there's a lot of like basically just like kind of like beat up metal all over. It's a very steampunk looking game, obviously. And it's kind of hit or miss for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also felt the same. I didn't, I wasn't really in love with some of the kind of like revised versions of the enemy designs. Um, I know they're sort of just like upscaling a lot of stuff and rebuilding it from scratch based on like what it originally looked like. But I think the final result is just some sort of generic looking enemies and robots and stuff like that. That's a, that's a weird issue to have. Cause obviously it's such a, like a, the game inspired a ton of stuff and a, enough things have sort of ripped it off at this point that it comes back and you're like, here it is like, you know, Shinra guards. And you're like, well, they look like a lot of other cyberpunk stuff that we've yeah. seen since then, which, which is, is like not that game's yeah. fault. Right. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's going to be like Dune is coming out next year and inevitably somebody's going to be like, well, it kind of ripped off a lot of star Wars stuff. And it's like, yeah, but things are the other way around. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, Chicken and egg. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I would, I like that the combat had enough going on that there's clearly going to be stuff to figure out. Mm. Um, it was sort of odd to me that I feel like with a with real time combat, there's sort of this habit to be taking care of one person. Obviously, there are games where you you juggle between different people, but it was sort of you know to be thrown for a loop with fifteen, where you're like suddenly you're just kind of you're 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 just Noctis, and you can kind of call in your friends for help, and you have like sort of you know uh, assist attacks, but for the most part, your buddies were kind of doing their own thing. You weren't like switching roles between them. Whereas, like, FF7 is a game that I'm used to being turn-based, but you're playing as different people throughout. Like, you know, you take turns and you figure out who's doing what. Uh, but, yeah, like, jumping over to Barrett to do ranged stuff, and then I'd be like, oh, crap, Cloud's getting his ass kicked over there, and I'd have to jump <laughs> over, and I'd be sort of, I'd be like, well, let me stop and take this in for a second. And it would be like, no, 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 this is the real-time part. And I'd be like, all right, well, well, I guess I'll play it real-time. And it would be like, no, no, you can't do that. Your gauges need to fill up. And I'm like, what am I, I'm, I'm sort of torn between the two. This episode of Podcast Beyond is brought to you by NordVPN, a great way to protect yourself online while also improving your overall experience while enjoying cyberspace. Are you tired of streaming shows, movies, or sporting events being unavailable in your region due to draconian restrictions that are based on completely arbitrary geographical boundaries in physical meat space? Well, switch your virtual location to a place where that's no longer an issue. 
The same goes for shopping. You can get the best possible deal on subscriptions, flights, hotels, and other goods and services like that from websites that like to play favorites with certain territories and currencies. Meanwhile, encrypted traffic protects your data from hackers, viruses, malware, phishing sites, and other harmful hitchhikers of the information superhighway. Though really, it's more of an information autobahn because there is no speed limit with NordVPN. It is the fastest VPN in the world, so there won't be any buffering or lagging, and it'll stop your ISP from throttling your bandwidth. Isn't that nice? One NordVPN account can be used across six devices, which is great. My wife has been using our account to watch all sorts of awful British reality TV shows that aren't available here, like Argument Island or Half Naked Idiots Fall in Love, and everyone's favorite, The Worst People Just Got Married, let's hear them talk about it. Shows that are so bad they're blocked in our part of the world for our own good, but luckily NordVPN allows her to trick the internet into thinking she's in the UK so she and her awful friends can shriek and howl and cackle at the TV while I'm trying to relax. I've been using my VPN too. You know what I've been using it for? None of your business. Yep, that's right. And thanks to NordVPN, my data is safely encrypted, all bundled up in a weighted security blanket of incomprehensibly complex math problems and nobody can tell what it's doing under there. Data, you do your thing, I'll leave you alone. One month of NordVPN coverage costs less than a cup of coffee. Coffee can't protect you from cyber criminals unless you throw it at them or pour it on their computers and you'll probably get in trouble for doing that. So get NordVPN instead. To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. And now, back to the show. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, I was in a some comment chat section somewhere, and I definitely saw some people a little bit pissed off that this does not feel like a true turn-based thing. Like, it doesn't... I think we were sort of told early on that there'd be like, oh, there's like a version that's... Well, there is classic mode. Yeah. Which yeah. is that the mode that you can jump in that is far more uh, like the original okay. system, um, which I didn't actually admittedly check out because I was very... I sat- have not either. I was super satisfied with... I mean, A, I wanted to see what the new system felt like, and B, I was really satisfied by it. But there is a classic mode that you can jump into. Okay. I was yeah. under the impression that you could just swap between those in real time. Right, right, right. I think, Maybe, can I you think it's like probably, I, I would guess it's probably an options thing. Okay. Um, in, in the final release, I don't know for sure, but my guess would be they don't want to dedicate a button to letting you do that on the fly. Mm-hmm. You could probably do that somewhere in the game I mean, my settings. big my big takeaway is like, this is weird. Final Fantasy VII is a beat-em-up. Like, <laughs> it's just a kind of odd to be like, oh, I'm doing this. Uh, Mike Drucker, a friend of the show, former IGN guy, tweeted out something wonderfully brave, pointing out that there's no reason that there should be a jump button 
but it feels like there should be a jump button. That was a that thing that happened to me. Very yeah. true. Right? Yeah, well, it really like, does feel like there should that be. That was there's so like two weird or three problem. run buttons. Yeah, yeah, which is weird because it's like, it, yeah, it, it, it's sort of like when you play Ocarina of Time and it just like automatically jumps for you, and you're like, oh, that's a smart system. But in this game, it was sort of the same. It's like sort of contextual based. Jumping, jumping, yeah. Where like you walked up to a turnstile and you're like, I should be able to jump over this, and they're like, well, you can. When you see the blue arrow, when, yeah, move ahead. like, oh, okay. Swipe, yeah. swipe your clipper card and you can enter the BART station or whatever. I, I liked a lot of the demo, but the lack of a jump button felt very odd in the fidelity and look of this world. Obviously, mm-hmm. I get that the original game, you know, you weren't jumping around. But um, you're not doing a lot of things in the original exactly, game, right? Yeah. yeah, and so this felt, especially, there was one or two points where I was having aerial combat as Cloud based on where the enemy was and I sort of lucked into that aerial combat and it looked so cool and it felt so satisfying but it was one of those things where I was like oh I wish I could kind of enact this whenever I want or be able to hit up an enemy and then jump to juggle them in the air especially, like that felt like a missing aspect yeah especially because like in cutscenes, you see him like basically double jump off of like a falling <laughs> pillar and everyone's like well that was cool as hell and he's like yeah alright all right, well now do it over the wet floor sign <laughs> can't do it can you yeah. there's no button for that yeah, yeah. He's, he's the most agile man in the world and then it's like there's a little hole in this fence they cut out good luck getting through oh yeah, yeah. that was I think every single person who played that demo uh, tried to go through that that hole in the fence yep. and just <laughs> it was just yeah. like there was no yeah. option you couldn't even bend down yeah this like, is the, yeah. crouch this is not a, a, a thing exclusive to this demo or this game or this franchise by any stretch but there has never been a scene in a video game where two characters are going up a ladder at the same time that wasn't just incredibly awkward yeah like you get real close you get to really Jesse. Close. yeah like, like your you hands are luck. in each other's butts or yeah. like you know the, one person's stuck and the other one's like that like it's just yeah. like it's always awkward he's like yelling at her to stop talking it's like dude you're your head is on her butt. Stop being rude to her. Ladders are a stupid thing. It yeah. makes sense that we as humans don't ever use them unless we have to do chores. Well, one yeah. thing that I'm happy they brought back from the original is when you're going on a ladder and the camera angle shifts slightly and you wind up going the, the wrong direction. You guys have that? Oh, Where yeah. if you're like holding the, you know, holding the stick and you're like, oh, I'm supposed to go down and then it like kind of you hit like a different screen and then suddenly you're going up and you know what the what am i where <laughs> am i going yeah i will say as someone who you know again hasn't played the original i did really come away in love with the combat it definitely was one of those things i agree the pacing of them introducing all of these tutorials to you i don't think works great as a standalone demo like in the context of a larger it's just a, you know, it's just a demo hour. yeah yeah I, I wish they had done away with some of that just so you could get into the action mm-hmm. because once i felt like i was in a flow uh, with the lower level enemies, I was really in the groove of it, and I Me loved too. like figuring out when to shift to Barrett and then when mm-hmm. to use my breaker or just his uh, different forms for Cloud. Figuring all of that stuff out and then really getting in the rhythm of that felt so good. I, like, I really I liked that. switching stances like that, yeah. especially coming right off of Bloodborne, having sort of like a light and a heavy version, and one of the like switching over to the heavier one where you're basically very slow but you can do incredibly powerful charge attacks and stuff like that that felt really good yeah i really like that feels like they should have a score like a score meter like you finish an encounter and it's like s s plus plus or whatever (laughs) yeah it's kind of odd to be like does a little bit i mean it, it gives you like stats and stuff and maybe that's affected on how you actually perform but it's again it's like it's final fantasy 7 it's an rpg but it's also a hack and slash now with like tactical meters and stuff and like cooperate it's just it's it's i don't know what i was expecting i guess i was kind of thrown for a loop with this i don't i don't dislike it i want to get like i want to get my feeling for it when i actually am playing the the full game which i will do uh it's there's i think there's going to be some like weird reactions to this i think there's 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 a lot of like george lucas 
special edition stuff happening mm-hmm. here. And I think some people are going to be like, I love it. I don't mind it. Bring on the changes. Other people are going to be like, Greedo shot first. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's, you know, there's, 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 there's a, there's very, we've talked about this in the show for years, but there's, there's like very, it's, it's a balancing act to do a remake, right? Even Shadow of the Colossus, which was like a, a completely one-to-one made some slight changes in just the character models that I think removed some of their sort of like weird mystery and minimalism. And it's and, like the, the, the steeper sides of the uncanny valley where when, yeah. there's, when there's less of something to be familiar you're able your imagination fills in the blanks more yeah it's like how when you read a character in a book it's different from like oh if you've already seen them in a which is medium. you know yeah. something that ff7 has are always sort of benefited from is like oh this is what this this game looks like running on its original engine on a crt tv you know like it's mm-hmm. and your brain fills in the blanks and to up that fidelity into something modern i think it's totally doable and i think what they've done with some of the environments and the art direction the music you know the character designs it's all really good but i do think there's going to be a split um with fans and reviewers in terms of a uh the sh- the sudden shift in combat and b the fact that you're getting a fraction of a game here so- i mean yeah i i just want to interject uh i from like so final fantasy 7 was my first jrpg i loved it i played it over and over and over i'm very it's it, it, it it's a very nostalgic place in my heart um there were two. There were two or three things that I, as, you know, coming purely from a sort of nostalgia ang- angle, and I, I loved. I really liked the combat. So combat aside, uh, character models I loved. Uh, so that aside as well. Um, one thing that I sort of missed was the top-down uh, angle from the original, especially going through, you know, that first reactor. Uh, mm-hmm. You got sort of the layout of that sort of uh, that level. I mean, not level, but you got such a, a, a fantastic grasp of space in the original and like that made oh you'd see a chest over there and it's like that meant you you know you'd want to sort of face this particular enemy or or cross this particular dangerous part because you could see it or you could you know there was a it sort of added a sense of um of of gravitas <coughs> yeah. to that environment that i kind of missed being more grounded in this remake well i think there's even a way to do that in a remake like this with this fidelity and this scope and scale um and perspective but it's, you know, the stop and start of the demo would have been more interesting to me if it was setting the stage of a scene and the camera work was yeah, no, you're right. interesting in how it showed it to you. I think there's yeah. a way to do that, but yeah. No, I, totally. And Final Fantasy VII wasn't a top-down game, but, like, its camera that angles were... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, it really gave you a sense of, of the space, and it, it's often the spaces felt really daunting because of that, and I did miss that a little bit. Um, one thing that I really, really loved was the music. I loved the, the, the new orchestral score that was sort of... In terms of exactly how you remember it, that's uh, when a remake does that thing where it ups the ante and, and puts it in the modern day, but it's just how you remember it from back in 1997 or whatever. That is exactly what the music did for me. Like, I got, I got very, I got misty. You know, yeah. I got misty eyed. Like, it was just when I heard that, I'm not I, even going to try it, but like, you know. <laughs> I loaded that up this morning and like it hit start on the demo and then went into my kitchen to like make an espresso and I heard that music come on and basically bolted full speed back into my living room to sit yeah. down. Cause like yeah. that was not only final fantasy seven, but like final fantasy two us that was, that was music there too. And it was just like, what it's, it's, it's an iconic final fantasy song. And to hear that like through surround sound, through oh, like the, it's just, it's just so, it's perfect. so good. So perfect. Um, I think that's going to do like a lot of heavy lifting in this game is, is that. Yeah, I agree. One other thing that I do want to just mention, and I, I know that I'm not alone in saying this, but I, 
just did not like Barrett's voice acting. I thought that I didn't think it was great. No, it's it's pretty embarrassing in this day and age. It's it's. I mean, it's not even you know. It's not even that it. It was just so overperformed. It was so overperformed. Um, he sounds like, like he sounds like Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder. Someone actually he commented does. that in the Facebook group. I was about to pull that up. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like um, I know that he was that larger than life character in the original game, um, but that does not translate into actual voice acting. I just kind of wish that his character had just been a little bit toned down, and I hope in the eventual release, I mean, God knows whether it's too late, but um, I just wanted that to just be a little bit less. And I, and I love, you know, again, going back to the fact that I love the campy aspect of Final Fantasy VII as well, but the thought of just that that over the top because Barrett was one of my favorite characters yeah. in the original well, and he my also, sort of, he does start off like very gruff he does and, but he's and he's very confrontational to Cloud mm-hmm. but like this was like all right I, all right I buddy hope he, I hope he chills out and yeah I mean the whole thing is like I there's the the part where you like set the timer on the bomb and you can set it 20 or 30 and no matter what you pick he's like he's like gets he says something smart ass to you and you're like what jerk like it's just <laughs> yeah. mean and yeah. you're like I don't if you know. guys set it to 30 or 20? Well, I set it to 30, which meant that you didn't get the cool secret ending in the demo. Oh, because I set it to 20 and I finished with like 18 and a half minutes. I mean, yeah, we, I did. we all did. We all did. Yeah, yeah right? I, I set it to 30 because not knowing the game, I was like, let me just be safe. Well, and I was, was just like, like this will give me more left. game. I yeah. died once and had to redo it. So, you know, mm. yeah, I got beat up by the scorpion. The scorpion. The scorpion. I, so I, I totally see what meter. you guys are saying. <laughs> I didn't mind his voice acting just because I felt that like, Every everyone in this game talks like an <laughs> idiot. Like, I mean, that's true. I mean, they I, mean all, they, I know people cherish this and they love it, but I think that all of these characters are like absurdly mm-hmm. over the top. Do we do we know if there's going to be Japanese audio and subs on this? Actually, don't. I'll check don't that know. out because I will 100 percent play it like that if I can. Because I I can't tell when if it's another language when they're really hamming it up. Yeah, know? I mean, like honestly, to really reiterate this, uh, like on the consumer side here, like I. I cannot state this enough. I think it is completely disingenuous of Square Enix to sell this game without outright stating on the box art that this is not the entire game. Yeah. yeah. So I was thinking about this. It is, first of all, you're totally right. It should say volume one or yeah. part one or some colon origins, whatever it is. It's but also- people are talking about it actively like it is the full game. Like that is that well, is because if you put the box arts next to each other, that's what they look like. Yeah. We also don't really have a historical precedence as people who consume video games to buy remakes of video games that we grew up playing and not get the entire thing. I mean, if like if think of like, all the remakes you've you've played over the years, if you got the first five Colossi and Shadow of the Colossus, <laughs> right? What's weird about this is we know that this is the Midgar portion, right? We don't know like exactly when it's going to drop off. Like, is it going to be like a little bit outside of Midgar? Is it going to be the second you go outside? Is it like what? At what point will it just be like the end to be continued? Mm. Right. Which is really kind of odd to think about because it, it reminds me a little bit of um, the Lord of the Rings movies, where like you have a kind of an idea of when you know where they're sort of punctuated, uh, but like watching those movies, you're, you're never sure like when. Okay, now it's going to go to the credits, and like we have that here where it's like we know it's going to kick to the end at some point, but like. I don't know, and we I, we have an idea that this is a full length game that there's well, going to be a substantial amount of stuff to do. We don't know how they're filling the space entirely. Exactly. Which is, yeah. yeah. As someone who doesn't know the original game, I think that's the biggest question to me is having a sense of how much that space or how much time that portion of the game originally took up. How much can they put in there to expand it? And from what I've seen, I do agree. I think it's insane that they're not 
properly promoting this as volume one right. of this thing. I'm excited to just play this portion like and just enjoy it. I don't have any preconception, at least, of what it leaves out of the story. But it is weird knowing that this was a part that originally lasted five, six hours for yeah. most people. Yeah, and yeah. but also I don't know like how much busy work will we have to do in yeah. that space. That's something that that worries me. Like I'm not I'm not someone who's like, oh yeah, more is better. Like you know, quantity over quality. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't want to have to just be doing little tasks yeah. just to fill up the time. I mean, it feels like there's a way to expand this section and make it matter and mm. not just be busy I mean, work. It's, it's a whole city. Yeah, which yeah, is exactly. Great. Which is, if you can explore it and there's stuff in there. Then and that's... the establishing shot, I mean, maybe it is the same shot in the original game, but the establishing shot that shows you all of Midgard very much to me felt like saying, this area is all going to be yours to explore. Right. No, and that's, mm. that's in the original. Is that in the like, Okay, you, then yeah, it just seemed cool. You go places, but it's definitely, it was more like a series of JPEGs that so, navigate people you were mentioning sorry i don't mean i was just a follow-up question we all had so many thoughts about this game it's great um and we have over a month to talk about it but uh i do wonder compared to the original game how much were barrett jesse wedge and biggs i guess how like do you really want the answer or do you well well, I, i just like how much were they in this opening section in this, like in the demo, is there a lot more of them than there is in the original game? Or it, is this... In the demo, it's one to one. It's basically one to one. So Jesse and Biggs and Wedge, and they're all they're all a big focus okay. in, in, in the intro. There is, is they're they're readily identifiable as different characters, not just different shapes. <laughs> okay. Like in the original, they're they're you can kind of see different characters there, but they're more or less like it's let's reuse that costume trapezoid. <laughs> yeah, some, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. I mean, they're they're obviously going to expand on individual parts of this game to justify selling them as whole chunks at $60 each. But from what I saw in the demo, it doesn't really seem like that's happening yet. Like a lot of it is pretty one-to-one to early sections you play in the actual Final Fantasy VII. And like, I, I don't know, like I, I don't have a problem with them taking this massive game and adding a little bit more meat to certain parts of it and spreading it out to three or four games. I have no problem with them telling that story that way. I have a problem with them selling that story without being completely obvious about it. For sure. Like, I think a a very small label on the box, and this wouldn't be an issue for me. I actually don't have a problem with that. If you took one of my favorite games of all time and you stretch it out over three or four games and added a ton of stuff, I'd be like, okay, cool. Maybe that's an option. That's that's a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. But you have to be be upfront about that. Yeah, the lack of transparency on the box, because it's one thing for us who follow the industry every day or fans who read our previews and things like that who know that's what's coming. Yep. But it's another thing for someone who's walking into a store or seeing it on Target.com or anything or Amazon and says, oh, I played Final Fantasy VII, I should get this, and has no concept that this is properly part one. Yeah, yeah. and I know they'll probably put some information on the back of the box, but you don't really see that when you're on the PSN, yep. right? Yeah. I mean, one other thing that I'm slightly concerned about, and this is not this is not because of the demo, uh, you know, it's been a sort of concern since I found out that it was episodic. Uh, is it how much of the sort of pacing of the story are you, gonna, are you going to lose in between episodes? You know, I think that's like, that's a kind of massive consideration. Like, you know, I understand that uh, that there are episodic games out there, but considering how long it took to get us to... <laughs> Episode one, delays, considering yeah. next mm-hmm. gen is going to throw a whole spanner in the works. Uh, this is a historically kind of slow, meticulous studio known for massive, sprawling games that get almost infinitely what delayed. Are you talking about <laughs> Kingdom Hearts three, it didn't take Final that long. Fantasy 
13 verses. They hit all the real estate right on time. Um, and I mean, of course, uh, Final Fantasy VII was originally being developed outside of Square before they took it internal, yeah. which further prolonged it. And so, of course, it, I mean, it, there are there are there are sort of moments in this development that absolutely prolonged it. But I still, I don't think it would have had a very short. But this season, is right? this, yeah. this is the issue I had with Telltale. There was they they were incapable of maintaining momentum because there was no sort of concrete release strategy, and, and so like when you watch a TV show, it's every Sunday night for ten weeks, and the season's over, yeah. right? Um, like I'm watching the new season of Better Call Saul, which kicks ass, but I forgot that that show was on hiatus for sixteen months, yeah. mm-hmm. and so what I did was I marathoned through the original season on Netflix, leading up to the new one, did a crash course, refreshed myself, and I feel better about it. But that was like you know nine hours total over the course of a weekend like if i play through this game and it's 30 40 hours and then what two years go by before the next one comes out yeah and then what that's a ps5 game and you don't know yeah the not knowing is such a strange part of it yeah yeah yeah. Um, i think they're gonna wrap it up just nicely the same way they did final fantasy 13 over the course of three different games the first of which no one likes uh, yeah. Somebody's mad. Uh, for reference, Max, you had asked earlier, the game will come with English, Japanese, French, and German voiceovers. And Ooh, some additional... French or German? Which is the way to go? Ooh, <laughs> German. I'm going to play German. it all in German. Yeah. <laughs> you and I went to a German zoo. It's definitely German. Remember the Ringo Schwanzamongo? Final Fantastic. <laughs> Uh, I do want to read some of the opinions from the Facebook Podcast Beyond group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash podcast beyond if you haven't joined it yet. Uh, some of the stuff that some of the people said in it, one I do want to bring up because it was a total knock against me that I really appreciated was Daniel said, it's like a good Kingdom Hearts. Hey. <laughs> and I agree. It felt like a good Kingdom Hearts game. Not that there haven't been good It's like ones, a Kingdom but... Hearts game, but it's less goofy. <laughs> He, we'll see if he makes a cameo. Um, Matthew said, and this is more of a question, but uh, I never played the original game. Do you think I will like the remake? We'll I mean, find out for the full. Yeah, I enjoyed. It's, it's kind of the hard demo. to say, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, if you enjoyed it, I don't know. It's. I enjoyed the demo, but I had to set this expectation for myself that I think there's a lot of reasons that people love the original game that have to do especially with its timing and the influence it then later on had. Um, And that's not something you can expect this same game to have. Mm. And so I was trying not to judge it against why people love the original and more just what is this fresh JRPG experience for me going to be like? Yeah. Uh, Moving on from that, John in the group said, surprisingly, despite being real-time action, it feels much more strategic than about muscle memory and reaction time. I use the JRPG part of my brain more than the part that loves doing combos in Bayonetta. Yeah, no, 100%. I think that's really accurate. That was my feeling too. Yeah, and I am excited to see how the classic mode plays. Mm -hmm. That will definitely be an interesting Also, it is straight up weird as hell that the same year we're getting a Final Fantasy game that just goes like full, like, hey, it's a, well, I guess 15 was beat-em-up action game too, but like, this is a, Classically turn-based game, going action. Meanwhile, Yakuza is like, uh, no, we're just a turn-based JRPG now. Yeah, the main character loves Dragon Quest. Yep. Well, and sorry, then, uh, Persona Five, of course, which Royal is coming out later this month, was a majorly turn-based game, of course. And then Scramble, which is the sequel to it, is going to be more like a Muso game. So mm-hmm. you know, hack and slash and everything. They're like, well, we got done doing the dancing, and now we're doing some Dynasty Warriors stuff. And then <laughs> after that, it's Puyo Puyo time, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Ashlyn in the group said, haven't played it. I'm going to be waiting for the release date. I don't want to spoil anything for myself. And I did want to ask, especially as people who have played the original, do you feel like playing through this spoils much of the experience? Yeah, I, um, wish, I wish I'd waited. Yeah. 
but I mean, we got to talk about something on the show here. But like that, <laughs> that magical, those twinkly first notes, like I was avoiding trailers, you know? Yeah. And I kind of like, I'll definitely kind of, you know, dim the lights and do the proper, like, let's do this again. But then I'll be like, cool, I'm going to fight that scorpion again. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm glad it was 40 minutes. Like, I don't think it, you know, I've played through, especially, you know, being in games press uh sometimes you get to play through the first however many hours like those in the office uh who went to the preview did play like several hours of the game and i'm kind of pleased that i didn't do that because i want to experience it 40 minutes is enough i want to experience it the rest fresh for sure um yeah i agree with you guys uh that said i will 100 percent not play the resident evil 3 demo when it comes to psn yes i want to go into that one just totally i already that's quantifiable i know what that is i know the original i'm i just want to i want to start that game with the man yelling the name of the franchise and then he's mad or scared or whatever and then we go in and then there's well we also we know what that engine feels like like that's yeah it's coming hard on the tales of re2 remake which is like it's this in this case we were like like what if this what if this game was just like unparalleled jank and we were like we've been waiting (laughs) eight years for this what is (laughs) what happened yeah i think it's a little jank that's, that's normal though yeah wait for the day one patch uh andy <laughs> said i was excited at the opening it certainly looks the part and i was okay with most of the voice acting although the script leaves a bit to be desired than it always did yeah. as i played through i couldn't shake the feeling that despite its shiny new coat nothing had really changed but also that it ultimately felt like it couldn't decide whether it wanted to ape the original experience or change to something more action oriented settling on some awkward hybrid i left it there worried it that this was going to be a shiny bauble of a game with very little else to say. I mean, again, like my sort of uh, rebuttal to that is it's just that first handholdy intro section. We really, if we've played the demo, we really don't have a solid concept of what minute to minute gameplay is going to be like in Final right. Fantasy VII Remake. I think we've got a lot to see yeah yet i was getting you know uh flavor notes of uh twin snakes a little bit (laughs) of sort of being like this is almost like needlessly turned up to 11 in certain parts just because it's like that feels like something that you would think modern audiences would connect with whereas like maybe that's not necessary like the scorpion going on the walls and stuff yeah just like stuff like that that's just in the original does it jump up on the wall and you have to shoot it i remember beating that. that sentinel scorpion sentinel very easily that was a long boss battle yeah Yeah. it's it's it is long i mean it's it's like it's it's all very straightforward the actual battle is very straightforward but it's a a lot more involved than the the first battle from the original i can't wait to fight one of those goddamn houses oh god (laughs) i can't wait to fight a house yes i completely forgotten about the house yeah all right. Oh, oh, you are in the yeah, very, know, yeah. oh boy. Uh, and just to wrap it up, Johnny Muhammad uh, said in the group, "It finally looks like it did in my head all those years ago." Uh-huh. And sort of speaking to uh, you, talking about the music and everything. Yeah, it, it definitely was like, oh, I think I, I remember seeing that cutscene. You know, someone playing that cutscene. But no, this is how it. But but also to that point, it's virtually impossible for me to go back to the original now. I just can't. I can't because it's so divorced from what I remember. Even though sure. it's it's the exact game. But it's so divorced from what I have in my head. So yeah. I love that we get this experience instead. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we'll get to see the full experience. It got a little bit delayed from its March release date, but it's coming April 10th. 
uh, as a PS4 exclusive for a year. So we'll definitely be going more in depth on that when there are a lot of people with varying degrees of experience, both on the show and then in the office of the original and now this remake. So we'll have, I think, a lot to talk about once we get through it. Uh, moving on to something that won't be happening in March this month is unfortunately uh, GDC, the Game Developers Conference held right here in good old San Francisco, has been postponed to the summer for some unnamed, un. Uh, extrapolated on events that they are saying will come in the summer. We don't know to what extent that will be, but GDC, after a number of companies, including Sony, pulled out of the event, is now no, no longer happening due to worries, of course, about the coronavirus and the safety and health of people traveling to and from the show. Which, summer summer's a really light time. For yeah, not much goes on for the industry so then. Just throw one yeah. in there. Um, what happens? I am I am very doubtful. Yeah. That, that it a will happen. I, I, I am doubtful that we are going to see any big video game conventions in the near future well so that's the question i sort of wanted to expound from this on because gdc of course i think is a very interesting show for those of us who are lucky enough to attend it's less of a news focused show it is much more about the industry not sharing its secrets but sharing its stories with one another and those interested in getting into the industry it's a great place to meet developers talk to developers about their games they are usually not there to say like here's the new exciting demo of our game it's more about here's why we're excited about what we just did or what we've learned about what we just did and what we want to do moving forward yep. it's a much more um educational show but a still very interesting one yeah but it's, it, it's really cool in terms of like being a fan of how things get made to go sit in on a panel with you know uh an artist at ubisoft or a sound designer at criterion and they sit down and they go this is how we achieved this specific thing yeah there was um, a really great talk a couple years ago that i was lucky enough to attend that was um the devs from gorilla talking about horizon zero dawn specifically the work that went into creating the enemies that you would fight and the way they got the animations and the tech to work to be able to individually pick off pieces yeah uh, and that's amazing but that's not the sort of thing that's like horizon zero dawn 2 confirms there will not be animals like that right like it's not that type of show but we are looking ahead obviously Sony pulled out of PAX East, uh, which just happened, a few other developers did as well, and now we're looking ahead to when convention season does kick in, and obviously uh, the coronavirus worries and how they're shifting worldwide could change very much within this, you know, two, three-month span, but what do we expect sort of of conventions going forward? Like, if you were to say right now, do you think E3 is going to happen? Well, I mean, E3 <laughs> thinks E3 is going to happen. There was yes, a statement yeah. that came out today. They're going full speed so ahead. It's going full speed ahead. Yeah. Um, Hubris on the part of the ESA, get out of here. <laughs> but we don't, we don't, it's impossible to sort of really tell at this point because I don't know what's going to happen with all this. I mean, we're, we're not disease, spreadable disease experts, uh, but from, you know, from what I'm sort of seeing and, 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 you know, the way that this virus is spreading and the way that we're getting travel restrictions and et cetera, et cetera, you know, I don't have... I don't really have massively high hopes that there are going to be any large-scale conventions in the next several months. Uh, I think that people are going to be extremely cautious because it's not going to be great PR to not be. Um, and especially considering uh, Gamescom and E3 are such global enterprises, uh, you know, there are going to be people traveling from all over the world, from high-risk countries, et cetera, et cetera. Are people even going to want to attend? Mm-hmm. Um, that so, was an issue with GDC. It's a, it's a fairly international show. Yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's not like these are just, uh, you know, North American shows. They're right. Or specifically European even. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I think we should... Be skeptical. Skeptical. Yeah. 
do you say the word <laughs> that I'm trying to say? Skeptical. It's skeptical. Skeptical. You know, I I don't I don't think that it's a it's as it's a sure bet as the ESA is currently saying that it is. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there's two possible outcomes here. One is that these shows get canceled outright, mm-hmm. which I think is peace of mind for everybody. And I think you, the industry will come together and figure out a solution to get news out and deliver stories and connect with people in a meaningful way without actually having to put 300,000 people in a shared physical space. And if I were these publishers, uh, I would be putting those measures in place now. So yeah, if I was sure. if I was Microsoft, for example, uh, I would be uh, you know actively initiating a plan B just in case it does get cancelled. I, yeah. I don't think we're going to miss out on any news because of this. No. I think yeah. people, if, if publishers, if they're smart, which they are, uh, will already be... Uh, coming out with a plan B. Doing yeah. their own directs. Yes, right. exactly. And, and so I think either the shows will get canceled <laughs> outright or, um, and this is worse, I think the shows will go on, but they will continue to be a shell of their former selves more than they ever have been before. The thing is about these things is that GDC almost kept going. Yeah. And people started tweeting out maps of what that show floor looked like and 50% of it was empty mm-hmm. because it, all the big names started pulling out. Mm-hmm. When you look at E3 already, before coronavirus, <laughs> it's a show that that is you know has has had major publishers leave the show floor. Do you think they knew about the coronavirus ahead of time? Years ago, yeah, I d- highly doubt it, but <laughs> you never know. I mean, they are developing sophistic- sophisticated. it's contagious like the coronavirus Uh, i heard microsoft built that theater so they could hide from germs in there it's possible uh and so yeah i like that's the thing do you want to go to an e3 that a is being sold on being for the you know first time ever uh like uh, celebrity influencers are coming to hang out and play games with you um like jeff Keighley's live show pulled out playstation's not there uh xbox is not on the show floor activision ea not on the show floor um you're left with a few companies who haven't canceled yet and then you're going to charge fans to get into the building to witness what I mean, there's really so that's the thing. You can keep the lights on, you can keep the show there, but that's not really the ESA's call to make. Because if they throw a party and no one shows up, they technically threw a party, but that party sucks. No, they yeah. have to eat the cost there. Yeah, uh, with stuff like GDC and E3 from a like a, a GDC badges are stupidly expensive. Not counting international travel, hotel rooms, and all that. Uh, booth space, I think, is I want to say is not quite as ridiculously over the top as e3 stuff is it can't possibly be. right yeah. uh, i mean the cost of an e3 badge for a for a, a like an attendee for like a, a fan or whatever is i think they try to make it accessible but again for like for companies to rent out a spot on the show floor is like millions of dollars yeah. right so if they're being like mm, i don't know i think we're gonna pull out that's like that's that's big money at play but if it comes down to like a company wanting like basically being like should we let should we let fans spend their money on this thing like the companies who have big money on the line are the ones who are going to be kind of, I think, affecting this decision more than anything else. Though it is like Gamescom is the one I think that really kind of scares me if this is still something we're talking about because we talk about like Gamescom and E3 like they are the same thing, they're the same size. Gamescom so is, many more people. Uh, I think almost f- oh, five, five to six yeah. times bigger. Yeah, than E3. yeah, it is yeah. three hundred thousand. Three hundred thousand versus seventy thousand. Yeah. So that's and it's. 70,000 yeah. was E3 like at its peak in yeah. the last few years yeah. too. So no you're so, you're totally right like what what do you do if you're you know n- Nintendo and you dropped $100,000 on the you know construction of your E3 booth and then you go you know what this is not a good idea and you pull that money out this is like 
this is the thing. Like, we're not virus experts, but I do think that this is going to have major ramifications on all the things that we enjoy, all the things we watch. Movie th- movies are, are going to make significantly less money than than they would have any other year. Uh, video games are going to. There's going to be like I I think, and I've said this a couple of weeks ago. Um, Sony not being at GDC and not being at E3 and not being at PAX is going to, there's going to be a lot of ships passing in the night in terms of them aligning with indie devs who might have been there day one on PS5. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, these systems are going to have a shrunken library that we won't be able to perceive as fans. And even if the systems get released this year at all, exactly. because yeah. of manufacturing costs and how uh, sort of this is going to disrupt massively manufacturing. And right. not just cost, but yeah, the actual factories not like being, actually making yeah. the parts yeah and so can the esa rebound from a year where not only uh, many major players have pulled out of e3 but also attendance is down uh other uh, other booths are down you know that's gone in general can can gamestop rebound from a year where potentially next-gen consoles aren't the hail mary they're looking for to re, you know keep that that like that is that is a company that is like predominantly built right now on hardware sales because software is not something that they have any sort of you know mm-hmm. tangible control of any, anymore yeah so they counterpoint like retail has been struggling across the board anyway a place where flesh and bodies flesh and blood bodies go to walk around and cough on each other and touch things with their hands uh, especially their faces. Yeah, especially yeah, those yeah. controllers. That's, you can't really get a good feel for the controller unless you rub your cheeks all over it. That's <laughs> sure. how it works. Like, give it a lick. Yeah, that but controller I mean, was bad on a good day. It's gonna be. <laughs> it's gonna be really odd to see what this does to the sale of digital games because if people are like, "I'm not going out," there's nasty bugs out there. Like, I mean, just across th- through the summer, are we going to see more people jumping on digital versus going out to a store and buying a physical copy of something? Because I mean, anecdotally, gone, we've we've know. seen the sales of Ring Fit spike like crazy is specifically in china because people can't really leave to go work out so they're figuring out ways to do it at home which is kind of how people exercise in prison i mean mm-hmm. it's like i think this is going to change a lot of habits in the way we interact with things like selfishly we don't host like a outdoor jogging podcast so much of what we do and what our audience listens to and does, they can conceivably keep doing from home. But I do think that, like I've been saying, like a lot of the c- connecting dots here are going to fall apart now that these people aren't meeting face-to-face. I think it's like you go to PAX and you go to GDC and you check out these weird little indie games that, that, that have to be, you, have to be, you have to play them to understand them. You know, like there's weird indie corners and, and people see the people at major companies see these things and go, I want to help you publish that. I want to get that on PS5 on day one. And those conversations are not happening in the same way. And I think that things going to fall through the cracks. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's going to be an interesting level of fallout that we just can't comprehend right now. Like things are changing on a daily, weekly basis. And we could be looking at a potential future where E3 doesn't happen, where console manufacturing gets delayed or is dramatically um shifted downward like i think we were talking before the show started of the idea that okay maybe the ps5 and series x still hit their target dates but there are just so few of them yeah available because the production just isn't there that's what i'm anticipating i'm anticipating that these things will ship on time whatever on time is since we don't have f and release dates yet or prices or a look of the console Get it together, Sony. Um, but I do think they're they're going to be severely constrained, and then getting one's going to be a like a Nintendo Wii style pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's going to be a very interesting thing to track, and of course, we will be tracking it. Uh, we were updating in the lead up to GDC of all of the developers and publishers pulling out, so we will continue to track that if that happens for E3 or other future events. So stay tuned to IGN for that. But obviously, we are looking into how this affects 
not just us on the show, but how this affects the industry at large. Yeah. Um, but I think we can all safely agree we are happy that they are choosing to stay home rather than to risk the health of so many of these people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I don't I don't think it's worth it for anybody to put themselves in in that risk right now. And if if you just wash your hands. Yeah, mm-hmm. wash your hands. Don't cough on stuff. You should have been washing your hands, honestly. Yeah, like that's I a, hate that's that it took odd, this. It's an odd well, thing that I'm like, well, you're not washing it. Should you yeah. use soap, or is that not necessary? Soap or feces. Really okay, spit. cool. Good yeah. to know. Spit in your hands. Yeah, just a little hands. bit of spit. Yeah. Uh, moving on from that, uh, something we can talk about that did happen a long time ago was the fact that the PS2 was released uh, 20 years ago. This is the 20th anniversary. Oh, in uh, Japan. In Japan, mm-hmm. yeah. It came out later in North America, but this is the 20th anniversary for the PS2. Uh, pretty, you know, important console. The best-selling home console of all time. Um, obviously massively influential, both good and bad for PlayStation. Funnest-ass DVD player ever made. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely snuck a few DVDs into people's homes. And also, I think, responsible for a lot that we love about PlayStation and a lot that led to the hubris of PlayStation in the PS3 era. Uh, coming off the success of the PS2. But yep. I sort, sort of wanted to talk just at large of this being the 20th anniversary of its original release. We'll talk more about North America. You feel free to take Loki for a bit. He seems to want to go there. Um, just what were some of your favorite games on the PS2? What sort of memories do you have about the PS2 that did make it either a big or maybe smaller part of your gaming life? Uh, Lucy, does anything stand out for you? Um, well, we're currently updating our best PlayStation 2 games of all time list. Uh, and I wrote the blurbs for a couple of horror games that sort of really made that system a very special one for me. Uh, one was Silent Hill 2, mm-hmm. uh, just because I still believe that is the best horror game ever made. Uh, I just think it was the most unnerving realization of of... Uh, sort of mental anguish that I've ever seen in a video game. I thought it was uh, an incredible realization of what the original kind of was trying to do. And there, I love the original too, but Silent Hill 2 was very much like, this is what we always wanted to do. Uh, I thought it was weird and bizarre and twisted and it kind of made me sick and I loved it. Um, so that was, that was you know, I, I, just, I think the PlayStation 2 housed some really fantastic horror games is what I'm trying to say. Uh, the it's, other one was... It's so hard to explain to people who don't like horror why we get into stuff like this. I know, I know, I know. I always had that conversation with my mom. It's like self-flagellation. It's like, why do you... Why like, do you, why do you put yourself through this? I'm like, it's great. Like, yeah. you, you get scared and grossed out, and you're like, oh. Same reason I like spicy food or hard alcohol. Yeah. There's stuff wrong with me. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, I know Resident Evil 4 was, of course, on other systems as well, but I played it on the PS2, and for me, that was another game changer. That was my game of all time before Bloodborne came along. We're not going to talk about Bloodborne. Uh, but we, we, are, we are way too similar. It's yeah, like, like it was, for me, for years, Resident Evil 4 was... was the one, and I, you know, I've I've said I've said this before, but Resident Evil Four kind of shocked me in in its openness. Uh, and I, this is a story that I've told a few times, so forgive me if you've heard it. But you know, when you watch Night of the Living Dead for the first time, you see that zombie stumbling through the the graveyard in broad daylight, and it was just so unnerving because it was in broad daylight, and it, it was it was not a bump in the night. It wasn't in a shadowy corner. It wasn't like a thi- you know a dimly lit bulb. It was it was. It was just there, and I think what Resident Evil 4 did so well is really embraced that terror out in the open where just craziness existed in a very uh, overt way that was so, so very unnerving and, of course, you know, tapped into that uh, Texas Chainsaw uh, Horror Massacre uh, style of open horror as well where it's just suddenly he's just there with the chainsaw. There was no build-up. 
he's just there. No, you 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 felt like you intruded and invaded on somebody else's space. Exactly. It wasn't it wasn't like one of those horror movies where there's like something under your bed. Yeah. It's like Leon shows up in this town and there's like a bunch of people standing around with like some chickens and a cow and one of them's like Arardeo! <laughs> and then they start trying to kill you with pitchforks. And-, and it's genuinely it's just because it's so just it's so it seems so it's so terrifying because it's almost so anticlimactic yes. that it's terrifying. Yep. They were having a perfectly normal <laughs> Spanish parasite <laughs> festival, and you showed up in your shearly jacket with your with your Skype phone and just ruined everything. <laughs> um, it was just it was a wonderful system for horror games, and uh, I I will never sort of forget it for that. So for me, that's my PlayStation Two mm-hmm. memory. Uh, Max, what about you? Oh, Metal Gear Solid 2, hands yeah. down. Uh, I don't know what the summer of 2000, was it 2001 would have looked like uh, if there wasn't that demo for MGS2 or that that was on the horizon around the corner. Um, I spent that, I've talked about this on the show before, but like I spent most of that summer just just messing around on that tanker mission and just tormenting those poor like Spetsnaz guards and just fighting Olga Gerlukovich repeatedly. Uh, and then that final game came out, and it's like, it's such a... I mean, it's definitely not what I expected. I oh, was a bait and switch. I was not expecting to do nude cartwheels <laughs> inside a giant super arsenal gear uh, or to fight Tentacle President. Uh, but there it was. That was it. Um, Get out and, and it's vote also, for Tentacle President, yeah. by the way. <laughs> um, it's the change we want to see in the world. Yeah, but no, like that, that game is like... I, I think it's definitely pete kojima but in like a good way mm-hmm. um and it's weird how much it totally anticipated you know bizarre information warfare and mimetic culture of like what's the internet gonna do and then it was like well here we are um i don't know i just i love that i love that dearly uh yeah i don't know yeah i think that's a, like yeah. a, a beautiful pick yeah. middle gate solid 2 is is an incredible game mm-hmm. uh brian i know you and i had a conversation you can watch on ign.com about this but what about for you what really stands out from the PS2 library uh, as like a startling gaming memory for you. Uh, in terms of the games for me, it was definitely the GTAs. That oh, was yeah. they were yeah. so synonymous with that system. Um, it was w- one of those things where they it they just felt endlessly gigantic, and it just felt completely unconstrained in ways that I hadn't really experienced since you know I, I can't even think maybe like. Stuff like Mario 64 came close, right? It was, it was like playing something where you're like, okay, the training wheels are off. I can, I can head into this level and I can tackle this any way I want. I mean, like just sitting down in GTA and being like, I have 100 missions to do. Or, <laughs> or I am just the devil yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to cause nothing but chaos for a hundred hours. Murder people with a helicopter yeah. rotor. The victimless crime, yeah. according to the cop AI. I just, I love that feeling of playing something like San Andreas and just wrecking shit. Like you go in and you're just, you're like, all right, off to go to the store. going to do some missions. And you bump into one car and some guy's like, hey, and you shoot him. And then a cop's like, hey, and then you shoot the cop. And like 40 seconds later, like you're like in your boxer shorts on a roof, like shooting at tanks. And you're like, I'll kill all of you. <laughs> like I imagine that's what meth is like, you know, where you're just like, wow, that's, that, that escalated. And then you wake up in that a really hospital and it's, the camera spins around. You're like, I have no idea where I am right now. And you walk back outside and you're like, I still got my gun. That's a weird hospital. <laughs> anyway. Hi. <laughs> like, I love that. That was like. Yeah. There's really nothing else like that, and like it, more and more open world games have have captured that and recaptured that. But like that is that is the PS2 era for me. For is sure. playing. 
big, crazy, insanely violent cinematic rock star games yeah. and just having a damn blast doing it. Uh, and because I wasn't allowed to play those games at that time, I was causing mayhem on the alien planets of Ratchet and Clank. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, of course, I've talked a lot about Kingdom Hearts, so that's a given. But uh, really, like, one of my foundational memories for the PS2 was that franchise, that and Sly Cooper. Like, the two went really hand-in-hand hand for me as sort of, like, as a kid, I grew up with, you know, mascot platformers, of course, with Crash and Spyro and everything. But that felt like that pre-teen era of, like, we, we can be a little edgy because our... Our name is Going Commando, and it's mm-hmm. it's a pun, Ooh. but it sounds dirty. Um, and just Taking stuff like off that. my underwear, yeah. <laughs> uh, up your arsenal. Ooh, they couldn't say ass. Putting it close. in my butt. <laughs> <laughs> that should be what the Ration Clank sequel is called. Uh, but no, just I just want more words on the boxes. Yeah, okay, that's all. Um, just showing what the evolution of mascot platforming could be and sort mm. of the wacky ingenuity that those two franchises in particular had. Ratchet with its storytelling and its. Uh, arsenal of weapons with things like a gun that turned your enemies into dancing sheep or the the discotron and stuff like that and just the really smart ways they played with what a weapon could be and you see that evolution in insomniac with things like marvel spider-man um and seeing that the sort of foundational stuff they did there as well as with sucker punch who i loved and obviously was really excited for infamous because of even though it was such a different franchise of what they did with sly cooper because it was this amazing i didn't play metal gear at the time but this amazing blend of stealth but in a, the same game yeah pretty much <laughs> <laughs> but just in terms of like that was my stealth gameplay at the time was this much more family friendly fair. But the smart way they approached stealth and made it approachable for I think a lot of people was just such a blast. And those two franchises really hold a place in my heart that I wish we still got to see them as part of PlayStation. But I, I do think they are still iconic for a lot of people who grew up with the mm-hmm. PS2. Mm-hmm. Um, but- I will say like in general, the the sort of aesthetic ergonomic design of the, of the PS2 was one of the first times I really remember video games feeling like a sophisticated home machine. I don't want to say that like every console before them was kind of like kitty and toyetic. No, I think that you could say that because I mean, think about the consoles that were in our homes before the PS2. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was the PS1, which was that looked like a toy. Yeah. It was a little grail circle, fun little unit, you know, Mm -hmm. but the, the, and of course the Nintendo machines, like the Nintendo 64, you know, very much still like, let's put the cartridge in and it's mm-hmm. blue or whatever. Yeah. Is well, some of the, we talk about Any this, color you want. Right. No, some, it was gray. Some right, of the yeah. best video game sequels build on the foundations of their predecessors. And I think the PS2 very much did the same thing with the, the PlayStation 1. Mm. Uh, and you look at it like, uh, how many, had any system prior to that been like, here's pretty much the same controller. Like, I think there were definitely a bunch of under the hood, uh, like adjustments to the DualShock 2. But like, for the most part, you picked one up and you're like, I know what to do with this. This yeah. is nothing new. It's not like the N64 where you're like, what? What? On- is the third one <laughs> yeah. there? Yeah, I mean, yeah. like the Super Nintendo controller was obviously a natural evolution of the NES controller. And by nature, the sort of top loading NES controller that had that dog bone look to it. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, not not like the way PlayStation's evolved on controllers being like a very subtle thing has always been like something I've really appreciated with them. Me too. But also with the with the more sophisticated ergonomic design of the PlayStation 2, that was one of the reasons that Sony could get so many of those consoles under people's TVs that didn't actually play games. They just wanted it as a DVD player, which yeah. was like, yeah. uh, you know, if it had looked more kind of boxy and console-like, I don't think it would have worked quite so well. I totally no, agree. Sure. I mean, if you look at its uh, sort of um, com- competing contemporaries at the time, you have the GameCube, the big purple purse, with the handle on it. And I love the GameCube, right? But it, it played like funny little CDs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the time, people were like, they're probably less powerful. And it's like, no, they're more powerful. They're just small. 
Um, and then the Xbox, which was this like hulking, oh, and the aggressive. The original Xbox was such a console. Yeah, yeah, it was, and you know, big glowing green orb in the middle of it, yeah. big back controller with a, you know, and then the the PlayStation Two. And Jonathan and I talked about this in our short film that you can watch on IGN.com and YouTube and other places where you get your short films, uh, Pornhub, whatever. <laughs> um, and uh, it, this this is a system that basically Trojan horse itself into non gamers' homes as like a DVD player where you could also be like, guess what also plays GTA or uh, gamers to be like, yeah, you got to go buy a bunch of movies now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a re- it's a really smart yeah. way of balancing yeah. that. Well, it's, it's, I would say it's like the first, somebody would argue with this, but it's the first modern video game console mm-hmm. uh, in that it's like, the stuff we have now, it's like, oh, it's cinematic quality things. You can play all sorts of different. You can play mature, mature stuff. You can play kid stuff. You can watch movies. It's, you know, hooks up to the internet. It's all stuff that the PS2 did. And you look at, you know, 10 years prior to that, not even, it was like, it was apples and oranges. It was a completely but, different. Yeah. But like a PS2 Slim wouldn't look out of place in a system, like in a, you know, in a, whatever you call them, entertainment unit today. Yep. Like, yep. it's just a, a very sleek little machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible how they figured that out to Trojan Horse it into so many households and make it a foundational part. And it, on the DVD note, it is a funny thing of the next generation, obviously the uh, Xbox 360 got ahead of the PS3, but there was a big battle over the UHDs of the Xbox 360 where you had to buy an attachment to play them and then the blu-rays of the ps3 which ultimately ended up winning but yeah it's funny how that stuff can turn the tide in a yeah console war. yeah um for sure let us know some of your favorite memories on the ps2 obviously we'll talk more again probably later on with the north american anniversary of it as well but let us know some of your favorite games that you played on the ps2 some of your favorite experiences with it and we'll read some of those on next week's show uh to wrap up i understand we're a little bit past time so if anyone needs to leave please feel free to but we'll wrap up very quickly with uh two last segments as my dog moves the microphone uh the first being memory card which of course every week we read your funny weird sad happy whatever memories of your playstation and gaming life uh, right here on the show every week. Thank you to everyone who keeps writing in with these. Please continue to do so. We have a lot of great ones to read, but I love reading and hearing these. Uh, this week's comes from Chris, who wrote into Beyond at IGN.com, like you can, and said, now this starts out with cars, but gets to PlayStation quickly, so bear with me. About eight or nine years ago, not the movie cars, the actual cars. About eight or nine years ago, the only console I had was an Xbox 360. Before that was a GameCube, and I'd never had a PlayStation console. At the time, I was driving a 93 Nissan Sentra SEO which was the sporty version of the Sentra. It had a plucky 2-liter engine that made 140 horsepower um, and ha- and revved to 7,500 RPM. I don't know cars. I understood four of those words. And a stick shift. My commute at the time required some freeway driving, and my modus operandi was to rev out second and third gear on the on-ramp. Third topped out at 90 miles per hour. Then I would put it into fourth and coast down to the speed limit. One late night, about 3 a.m., after a long swing shift at work, I did exactly that, except it didn't want to go into fourth gear. I put it back into third and slammed the shifter down into fourth, except instead of fourth, I hit second. The motor revved way too high and blew up, leaving me with a 2,200-pound paperweight. I left it on the side of the road and walked to my parents' house, which was nearby. Getting back to PlayStation, later on, I was able to sell the car for $500 and immediately use the money to buy a used PS3 and some games. I got un- to get to work. Yep. I got Uncharted 1 and 2, as well as a Gran Turismo 4 and the latest Infamous game. It was my first experience with the PlayStation console, and I had never had as much fun in a single-player campaign as I did in the Uncharted games. I've been in love with PlayStation-exclusive games ever since, and my first current-gen console was a PS4. 
That little Nissan was a fun car, but I don't regret breaking it as it introduced me to a world of gaming I had been missing for years. Thanks, and as always, beyond. That's amazing. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, the cool thing about Gran Turismo is you can have an automatic transmission in that and not have to do those. <laughs> uh, thank you for writing in with that story. Of course, if you want to write in with a memory card story, write into beyond at IGN.com with the subject line memory card. You can also write into beyond at IGN.com with the subject line that one thing. And every week we read some of your favorite things that really stuck with you about your favorite games of all time. That one little thing, whether it was a sound, a gameplay, visuals, whatever, that really stuck with you and made that game one of your favorites or most most memorable experiences of all time. This week's comes from Brad who said, Hey, beyond crew. My, that one thing is from metal gear solid five. Yeah. I was probably already about 200 hours into the game and had thought I'd seen most of its intricacies. <clears throat> Excuse me. But then I put the sights of my tranquilizing sniper rifle on a soldier, a ways off who was wading through a small running Creek with probably about six inches of water. I pulled the trigger and, like I expected, he immediately fell down, knocked asleep, but unlike I expected when I ran up to his body to Fulton him out of my uh, out for my growing army, I found him to be, in fact, dead. Even though the creek was super shallow, because he had fallen face first, he had drowned in the water. Uh, yet one more example of Kojima's fantastical attention uh, to detail. I already really loved the game at that point, but I think it was the moment that cemented MGS5 as one of my favorite games ever. I love yeah. that. I love the systems in that game. We've, we've been collectively debating for years now whether or not like Nathan Drake is a murderer. It's like old hat to even talk about that at this point. But there is a lot of like controversy around the fact that he does knock out a lot of dudes that are standing like in and around three inch deep fountains. Oh, yeah. You know, and they just that they they pass out. That would kill you. They would die. I'm glad MGS Five addresses that. Yeah, they made that when you like you shoot somebody with a trank dart and you're like once, but it's in the arm and they're not going down, and you shoot them like eight more times. (laughs) Probably would that probably would kill someone. Yeah, that probably worked. Uh, If you want to send in a that one thing submission, you can to beyond at ign.com as well, and we'll read those every week on the show. Uh, But that about wraps it up for this episode of Podcast Beyond. Thank you so much for listening and or watching this episode. You can find us every week, Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific at beyond.ign.com, youtube.com slash IGN Beyond, and your favorite podcast services around the world. When we're not here, of course, we're on IGN.com and YouTube.com slash IGN, as well as all of our social media platforms and the like. So go check out everything we've been working on, everything our whole staff's been working on. Uh, there is a lot of really fun stuff going on right now. Uh, otherwise, you can find us on Twitter. Max is at Max Scoville. I am at JM Dornbush. Lucy is at Luce O'Brien. And Brian is at Agent Bizzle. Uh, thank you so much again for watching and or listening to this episode. And as always, beyond. 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 Wash your hands. <laughs> Good advice. Hi, it's Jennifer, a founder of Go Kid Go and a mom to two kids. Join my family on the story train with Calm Conductor Birdie each night as we travel through the magic rainbow tunnel to everywhere and anywhere to find the best bedtime stories. Search for Story Train on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 